We're living the grape life. We are live and I am Greer McVeigh. Welcome to the first episode of the Living the Grape Life podcast. I'm the host. I'm sort of the videographer, the creator, the wine drinker. I'm all of it. But you are here because you either love wine or you love me. So if you love me, thanks, mom. I'm glad you, <laughs> I'm glad you tuned in. Uh, but if you love wine like I love wine, this is the place for you. This is the first episode of what will hopefully be many, many, many episodes. I already have several interviews lined up with industry experts who are going to teach me and you more about wine. I am, um, as I've said in some of my social media that's been out there all year, we launched at the beginning of the year. As I said, I love wine. I grew up in the Napa area. I've been going and doing wine tasting and enjoying wine all of my adult life, we'll just say, <laughs> at least since I was 21. Um, but I have been out there and love so many. I've visited so many wineries. I love wine. I love more than the wine, the lifestyle. Well, that's a that's a close call but I love the lifestyle. I love driving out in the country. I love the vines, the vibe, the people, everybody who goes to wine country, whether it's in Napa or other places in California, like uh, Paso Robles or Shenandoah Valley, Lodi, Temecula, Simi Valley, or not Simi Valley, uh, San Inez Valley. Simi Valley may have some wine as well. But wherever you go, whether it's in California, whether it's in another state, back east, another country, France, Italy, Argentina, you rarely, if ever, I've never met a person who wasn't having a good time. There's just something about drinking wine, sharing it, visiting with friends, having lunch, having dinner, uh, you know, enjoying the outdoors, having picnics and, and all those kinds of things. That's just a wonderful way to spend your life. It's what I call living the grape life. And everybody might define what is the, what the grape life is a little bit differently. Um, for me, again, it's all those things. It's leaving the stress behind. It's leaving work behind. It's leaving, sometimes leaving the kids behind, but it's just, it's, it's, it's being with family and friends, being with people you love, it might be your spouse or significant other, again, just your girlfriends. And now my son is over 21. I've introduced him to the grape life. And now I got a drinking buddy. So it makes it all the better. He's also my videographer. So, you know, if you see us out and about, say hi. Um, so there's that. I'm going to be interviewing or sharing with you an interview that I had recently um, with the winemaker from a winery. I'm going to talk about that in just a minute. But in the meantime, I want to say a couple of things. These are my disclaimers. First of all, we're doing our own sort of um, technology. Right? Like I said, my son's my videographer. I've been editing for like three weeks. It's like I can't figure this out. And I'm not saying that as an excuse. I'm saying that because part of what that is, is the grape life. I'm not going to stress about, you know, oh, the video, there was a glitch or there was a, things happen. And it is, again, it's leaving that stress behind, moving forward, taking chances, doing what you love, doing something you enjoy. 
everyone who knows me knows I enjoy talking. So this is a perfect platform for me, but I enjoy talking. I enjoy drinking wine. I enjoy getting out and meeting people, new people, people coming from around the world to experience what we have to offer in the world of wine. And again, I'm going to be going to all these regions, but I started pretty much in the Napa Valley area. And I define Napa, the Napa Valley area pretty loosely. It's, uh, it's Napa, but it's also Sonoma. And I'm including Hillsburg and the Santa Rosa area. And as you'll see from my interview today, I even get almost as far as Mendocino. So it's, it's, it's sort of this whole region, um, which is really technically not just Napa. But then I will be going out, I think in a couple of weeks, I, I've been invited out to the low, to uh, the Shenandoah Valley. This is unscripted. Can you tell I'm not reading a script? So bear with me. Uh, but we're going to be going out to the Shenandoah Valley. I'll be going Southern California soon. And then uh, again, as soon as I get a chance, I'm going to work my way east. Uh, and if you looked at my fir the first uh, uh, post that I put on um, Instagram, I think I put it on Instagram, TikTok, and Facebook, but it's definitely on Instagram and TikTok, where I talk about what this Grape Life Project is all about. In a nutshell, and I'm not going to go over it, you can go back and look at that video, but in a nutshell, it is about my journey on, on wine discovery. I, I love wine. I love drinking it, but I want to know more about it. I want to know where are the grapes from and why this wine? Why do I like this one and not that one? Or why does this one make me feel, um, you know, give me a headache or that one makes me feel really good, and, you know, whatever. Why does this one pair better with, uh, you know, a steak or versus barbecue? And, or, you know, and somebody recently asked me if I would do, um, a feature, and so we're going to partner, but do a feature on pairing wines with, um, uh, uh, what do you call it? Um, food there from Grenada, so Caribbean food. So I'm like, oh yeah, let's look into that. It's like, what goes with curry goat? I don't know, but we're going to find out. So if you stick with us in this journey and do your own wine journey in parallel, I just ask you when you when you see our videos or when you take video upload them, share them with us, right? Uh, hashtag living the grape life. And, you know, we'll share and we'll talk about what it is that what you've experienced. And, or if you would like for me to go visit a particular winery, let me know. And if I can work it into my schedule, I will gladly do so because I don't pass up opportunities to go and taste wine. So I just, uh, a little bit of a personal privilege here. This came about Again, in large part because I love wine and I've been wanting to do it and I do communications for a living. And it was just a good way to merge my, my skill set, my interests, and my passions and bring it all together and then bring you along for the ride. That said, I had been sort of putting it off as, as we do. And um, I was last year was diagnosed with cancer. And as I was starting on my, my, my cancer journey and had found myself having some downtime, it made me really start to think about not just what's important in life, but made me really start to think about what do I really enjoy? What do I want to have more of in my life? What do I want to do, you know, as often as I can, maybe not every day, 
But I don't all, and, and just for the record, I do not drink every day. I don't drink wine every day or any alcohol every day. Um, maybe a lot of days, but not every day. And I'm not pushing people to drink alcohol. But what I wanted to do was to really take the, the, the time to focus on something that brings me joy while I can and while I'm healthy and, you know, between treatments, I'm not done with my, my chemotherapy. I've got, uh, I've got more treatment, got treatment coming up next week. But in the meantime, I work my hardest to pull it together so that I can enjoy the grape life. So that said, again, this is not scripted and I'm going to be doing some, um, uh, sharing videos. So, and, you know, so it might not be smooth every moment of the, uh, every step of the way, bear with me. We'll get better as we, as we go through with this. But this first, this first interview, um, I recorded a, a couple of weeks ago. It might've been more like three weeks. <clears throat> and right after we recorded it, because of course I thought we were going to have it edited and ready to air in, you know, 11 minutes. Uh, it didn't work out that way. It's been like a few weeks to figure out some some technology. But we did a little contest. And the contest was if you could name. So each day on social media, we showed a, a, an image from or a video clip from the winery. So we took some pictures while we were out there and we showed pictures. And it was like, if you can guess the name of the winery and the location, you could win a bottle of wine from that winery. Well, I'd like to report that nobody got the answer right. <laughs> I did get some entries, but nobody was able to name the winery or the uh, or the location of the winery. So the answer is it was Toomey and it was Anderson Valley or more specifically Philo. So what we were looking for was Toomey, Philo. If you had said Anderson Valley or Bearman Ben, you would have that would have been good enough and you'd have qualified. Nobody did. So I still have this bottle of wine. That said, I'm still going to give away the bottle of wine. Um, I'm not quite sure how I'm going to do it. I'll post something. It'll probably have something to do with uh, liking, sharing, tagging this podcast. Um, and maybe maybe I'll say a key word at the end. So it forces you to listen to the whole thing. And then whoever like comes up with that key word, they win. I think that's the way we'll do it, if I can remember to do that. Anyway, so I've got I've got this. I also have a glass. I actually have two bottles of the wine and I've got an empty glass. So as soon as I'm done, I'm going to be making dinner or my chef's son is going to be making dinner and we're going to enjoy a bottle of this amazing Pinot Noir from Toomey in Anderson Valley. So we're going to put that aside for now and we're going to get on with the podcast. So I had the distinct pleasure, and that was a long way <laughs> for an introduction, but I had the distinct pleasure of uh, meeting a wonderful lady at a winemaker's dinner recently. Um, Toomey Winery is a partner, sister uh, winery, or it is a partner with Silver Oak Winery. So I went to the holiday dinner with my dear friend, Andrea. Hi, Andrea. Uh, and Andrea and I, you know, we had an amazing time. Wonderful food, wonderful wine, wonderful company, excellent music, entertainment, everything. was It was a beautiful night uh, back in uh, December, like during the holidays. And 
fortunately for us, I think it would have happened regardless, but fortunately for us, on the other side, Andrea was sitting next to me and on the other side of her was an associate winemaker for Toomey. So it was like, oh my God. So we, we cornered her and, you know, and it was like, hey, I'm doing this thing and I'm going to be, and, you know, she was like, mm, oh, interesting. And I was like, you know, it would be amazing if you would be a guest on the podcast. And wouldn't you know it because, you know, people are supportive and, you know, the, the, all the stars were aligned that day, but she agreed to be a guest on our podcast and as such was the first guest on the Living the Grape Life podcast. Her name is Hope Nastry and she is associate winemaker of Toomey Anderson Valley or Toomey Philo. So I'm going to, so I went out there and we walked the gardens, the grounds, through the vineyard, through the, the, um, the pressing room, the bottling room, where they ferment the grape. We were all back there. And then we sat down at the end and had a little more of a conversation about maybe the future of wine, of winemaking, particularly in California, based on some climate things. So we, we covered a lot of things. So we, uh, I've, I've uh, broken the, the video up into parts. I will confess some of the audio is a little bit not perfect uh, in the beginning, uh, but once we get through that, it gets better. I'll, I'll, I'll admit it does get better as we go along. Um, so you may have to turn up your audio a little bit. We've done the best we can, but I didn't want to delete it and have you not hear what it is that Hope had to say. She's, like I said, she's an amazing person and it was such a pleasure to meet her. So this first uh, this first clip that I'm gonna show though is just the drive up the, the road. So just so you know, and if you're from Northern California, this probably will obviously mean more to you than it would mean to people who've never been here. But Philo is, or the Anderson Valley is Northwest of Santa Rosa in Hillsburg. So it's out that way going toward Mendocino. So it is quite a trek from Napa. Um, there is a uh, Toomey tasting room in Calistoga. So that, which is the one I normally go to and I am a member. I'll just say that I'm a member. I've been a member for years now. Uh, I don't know how many, nine, eight or nine years or something like that. So it's been a while. This is obviously wine that I really enjoy, but this particular location, and they have several wineries and vineyards, and then they have different tasting rooms. This particular one happens to be a ways out, but it is a beautiful part of our state. There are great hotels and lodges and inns and things and wonderful restaurants. So it absolutely like beckons for a road trip. I, I've, as a matter of fact, I feel another road trip coming on. So uh, but when you get to the to the entrance, you turn off the highway and it's like another, I don't know, five minutes. I think we cut it down to a few seconds, but it's it's a, it's, a, it's like you're you know, over hill and dell to get to the to the winery. But when it opens up, you know, you go across the stream and past the barn and it opens up into a beautiful, beautiful um tasting room and facility. And we, again, we walk the grounds and you'll see what that's all about. 
So we're going to take a look at the drive first and then Hope and I start talking about the gardens that they have for the employees. This was uh, for the crew. So oh, okay. we had kale and peppers and squash and the whole thing and just here. Okay. You can kind of see where the ground is on that. Got a lot of food. I can't believe the kale is still producing. Do they no longer is it defunct? Just be in a lab, like mixing and mingling and just drinking all day. What tell me about your journey. <laughs> How did you get to be here and what is winemaker? Uh, I started off, this is my third career. Okay. Uh, I was a high school teacher. I taught mostly math and English. <laughs> you would have hated me. Okay. No, I did best <laughs> with the unruly students. That was my, those are my people. Oh my gosh, <laughs> it was like math. Um, and then uh, I left that career to, to chase the big bucks. I was a stockbroker and a financial planner. Really? Okay. And that was absolutely miserable and were you in new york were you back east? uh no this was uh in washington in washington state. okay um because you were in washington state yep. then you were back east i was for one See, year i've read up on you yeah i really hated what i was doing took some time off i had a little book of business that i sold off and mm -hmm. thought you know what do i want to do with my life what's going to make me happy so i narrowed it down to three things neuroscience <laughs> but like, I already have a, ma I have a master's degree. I don't want to go back and like okay. spend seven years to get a doctorate in neuroscience. It's too much. I don't, I don't have the time or the money for that. Okay. Um, food and wine. I was in wine country in Washington. So I gave it a shot and I applied. I was at, uh, I got hired as a temp worker in the lab for Chateau St. Michel where they make all okay. the red wine. Mm -hmm. And I've been doing it ever since. Why? That route versus the marketing or the, the growing or whatever. Why, the, why that more technical, science um, part? Because I wanted to make it. You know, it was the okay. same thing like if I was going to go into the food industry. If I, mm -hmm. I wanted to cook, I didn't want to own restaurants or, mm -hmm. you know, I waited tables and okay. all that kind of stuff. I didn't want to do that. I didn't want to manage restaurants. I wanted to have my hands involved in it. And so it was the same thing with wine. And on days like this, I always kick myself. I'm like, why did I go in the winery instead of in the vineyard? Yeah. <laughs> but it's been raining for days and it's cold and wet. And where I was, you know, we got snow and I'm like, mm -hmm. oh yeah, indoors is nice and warm and dry. <laughs> so that's why. <laughs> so yeah. and I still get to walk the vineyards. I'm still pretty involved with that quite a bit. This environment and climate, so they're disease resistant. So you can put those in the ground and graft Vitis vinifera on top of them. Okay, I'm, I'm following you. So I'll, I'll never be able to say Vitis vinifera. Vitis? Vitis vinifera. Vitis vinifera, which is the, so 
So these are like... So the way I explain it to people is almost every wine grape out there is Vitis vinifera. So if you think about it like dogs, mm -hmm. right? You have Chihuahuas. Okay. And you have St. Bernard's. And okay. Everything in Different between. Different breeds. Okay. Yes. It, so Cabernet, Merlot, Pinot, Chardonnay, they're all... Like the breeds of the dog. Exactly. But that but they are a dog. Dogs. Okay. So the vitisinifera, vitisinifera is the dog. Correct. Okay. Now, and then what kind of dog? Right. Okay. So there are some hybrids mm -hmm. with like some native North American grapes. So hybrid would be like if you bred a coyote and a dog or, okay. you know, a wolf and a dog or, you know. An I, elephant and a mouse. Yes. <laughs> um, yeah. And that's, there's a real push for hybrids because they're very disease resistant. They can be cold resistant. Okay. But it's very, very challenging to make a quality wine out of those grapes. Because the grape itself. The flavor profile is just different. Okay. So, you know, if you make wine out of Concord grapes, everybody says it tastes foxy. It's got that, okay. it's got a weird flavor to it. Mm -hmm. That's So you need the wine grapes. You, you do. Yeah. You need the wine grapes. <laughs> you can't just make wine. I mean, you can. You can. You can and make wine. a lot wine. of people do. Yeah. And there are some. And you really make wine out of a lot of things. Right. Like vodka or whatever. You can make it. There, do you want to drink it? <laughs> there are a lot of people selling a lot of wine made from, you know, grapes other than that. Uh, down in the south, they make wine out of muscadine grapes, which are totally different. Mm -hmm. It's a totally different thing. Okay. But it's very popular down there. Okay. Um, that's not how you get Moscato? No, that's okay. not Moscato. It's, <laughs> okay. it's muscadine. And they're, okay. they're like a big, big grape with a thick skin and... Mm -hmm. So as Hope and I were talking and walking, starting our, our walk, we were just sort of having a basic level setting conversation about, about wine, about the grapes and where they start and what kind of grapes. And, you know, so we get, now we start to get a little bit more into, and yes, I can say Vitis vinifera now. <laughs> so, and again, that's the common, a, a common wine grape. And as she was saying, you can merge and blend and hybrid and create hybrids and different kinds of, of grape, not just the wine, which is different from blending wine. So this is, we're still talking about growing the grape. So as we're walking through the vineyard and we're talking about the growing of the grapes, the planting of the grapes and, and how they graft them together and stuff, it was just really interesting. But again, Ultimately, what we want to know is how do you get, how do you go from the uh, the grape on the vine to a glass of wine, right? And how do you get there? And there are so many people, well, it doesn't have to be, because some wineries are really small. People grow some grapes, they do whatever, and they leave it alone, and they let it ferment, and then you have some, you clean it up, and you have some wine. And she talks about that as we go along. But again, for sort of our purposes and the kind of production that they do, there's a, you know, there are a lot of people that are in, in that mix and we just are trying to break it down into bite-sized pieces. And each time we do a podcast, we're going to explore more and more so that eventually maybe we will become winemakers ourselves. So let's get back on with, with the interviewed for position for an assistant winemaker. And said, you know, my second choice, do you have any other offers? I said, man, I'm not sure if this is a question for you. He said, go do that. 
go through that. Yeah, that's a good thing you did. You actually have I did. Okay, so it's I a did. good thing you didn't make that up. I didn't. No, I didn't. Okay. Uh, so, custom crush is, you know, I wanted to start my own label. Mm-hmm. I don't have to do Okay. For this. Mm-hmm. So, you start off in a facility just like an incubator. Mm-hmm. You know, a bunch of people using mm-hmm. You're using their staff, their equipment, their space, mm-hmm. and you're providing the grapes and the barrels and the direction. Okay. But they're doing most of they're doing most of the work for you. Mm-hmm. So you're paying to be there, you're paying to make your things, and then you're gonna make money back when you sell it. Exactly. Which is gonna be the market. Right. Okay. Right. And you give them, you know, you give them the direction on the wine. Mm-hmm. It's, it's your procedures. Okay. So and they're doing great. I mean, they've yeah. sourced the grapes for you. You're okay. well, you have folks in your own grapes. Because you're sourcing your own grapes and you're sending them to the facility. Correct. Okay. Um, so the beauty about that was I got to work with 14 different winemakers, 17 different labels. Mm-hmm. I learned a lot. Okay. Um, and then I went to the walls and I was the assistant winemaker there. And then I was the winemaker for Silverista Vineyards, a small, big vineyard. Amazing people. I love working with them too. They're small. Uh, there was some restructuring, and I took a job in Virginia. Was there for a year. I learned a lot in Virginia. It's very challenging to do a because they get too much water. Okay. So the fall there is very rainy, right? It's hurricane season, uh-huh. and they just get dumped on, and that's really challenging in Virginia. So, so let, let's talk a little then about shipping. About where wines grow. Everybody now has a winery. I mean, that's not unique to California. We have the best in the nation, obviously. Maybe not the world, but arguably. There are there are lots of arguments to be made. Like I, I said, I came from Washington State. Mm-hmm. We have a big chip on our shoulder. <laughs> the growing conditions there are perfect. Yeah. Okay. So, you know, so what's really, a perfect growing condition? And I should say, depending one, on the grape, the, the one thing that doesn't do well in Washington State is Pinot. <laughs> okay. Um, but, you know, up there, it's desert, and it's irrigated. You got all the water from the Columbia River off on the Grand Coulee Dam. Mm-hmm. So you have complete control of the nutrition, the moisture, and you get tons and tons of sun down here. Okay. So there's no real disease pressure. Um, you didn't have to worry about rootstock for a long time because it got cold enough in the winter to kill off the colder winter crops. What's rootstock? So most of the vines that you see, especially in California, are going to be Vitis vinifera, is a species of wine grape mm-hmm. because those roots have acclimated to this environment and climate, so they're disease resistant. So you can put those in the ground and graft. On top of them. Okay, I'm following you. So. I'll never be able to say Venice vinifera. Venice, 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 Venice vinifera, which is the so. So these are like so. The way I but word kept coming back. But again, I can't say Venice vinifera. So. Um, so part of what, and I know there were some audio issues there, but part of what Hope was saying was that she wanted to work in wine. And again, the audio does get better, but she wanted to work in wine. 
she had some opportunities to do some things. And initially she even made her own wine. I actually have my own wine. Uh, I am part of a collaborative that, that uh, pulls together uh, grapes. And then I have my own label. So I get to go and, and be a part of the picking and pruning, planning, pruning, picking, uh, stomp. Well, we don't really stomp grapes anymore, but all of that and then blending and be a part of that process and identify the wines that I like based on my taste. And I have my own label. It's called Envy. But that is something that, well, she sounds like she did on a much more sophisticated level than what I'm doing. So I, um, for people who maybe have an interest in making their own wine and being, uh, or being winemakers or wine grape growers or whatever and working in the business there are a lot of ways to get in and there's no one right way so she just talks about how how she did it and you know and it's fascinating but let's hear more about about grafting those grapes one of the things i was really happy about philosophically that, that's what i want to do in an, in a perfect ideal world i would take the grapes dump them in a tank, not do anything to them, let them ferment, clean the juice up, throw it in the bottle, done. And, and that would be okay. like minimal intervention. Okay. It doesn't work that way. Is that what they do in organic wines? Or that's, that's just about how it's grown? That's how they'd like to tell you it's done. Okay. <laughs> but it's, it's never just that simple. Okay. Um, but yeah, trying to, to do the least manipulation on the wine as possible on the grapes to get the best quality wine. That's that's kind mm -hmm. of our, okay. and really to show, that's that's why Chimmy was founded, mm -hmm. or that's what it's evolved into, is creating Pinots that really show where they're from. Okay. And you can't show where they're from if and, you're trying to and you don't have to, And you don't have to do a whole bunch to get the consistency because mm -hmm. they're still the same vines. The same, the, it's, I mean, I mean it's, the, it's the same grape. It is. Right. It's but it's more it's consistency same. of quality than consistency of flavor. Right? So a hot year, your fruit's gonna you're gonna tend towards like darker, bigger wines. You know, cold year is gonna be lighter, brighter wines. Mm -hmm. So we've got that we've got that leeway side to side on flavor profile, but the, the bar for how good is the wine, mm. we try to raise it. And year. what makes a wine good it's completely obviously it's subjective it's completely subjective um okay what make what allows one winery to charge 80 dollars for a bottle and another 10 dollars for the same variety right the same maybe even the same maybe not the same region i don't know where those <laughs> i don't know where the 10 dollar grapes are growing but so some of it is the cost of your inputs and the cost of labor. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Some of it is marketing. Okay. Um, I mean, everybody obviously wants to charge as much as they possibly can for their for but some, wine. Some places can only charge $10. Right. You know, it's like, you're lucky to get $10 out of me for this. Right. You know, and those are the wines a lot of times you have at a wedding or at a, sure. you know, at an event or something. Right. Cause it's, and you there know, are some... trying to give wine to a thousand people. Or, right. Yeah. Right. And, there's nothing wrong with enjoying those wines. Yeah. I mean, that's, 
a lot of people say it. I really do believe it. The best wine in the world is one you like the best. Yes, I, I agree with that whole part. So, if you know if your favorite bottle of wine is a sweet five dollar Riesling, yeah, go for it. My my viticulture folks are, are going to cringe at this moment, but all this all this stuff comes off. Uh, you can actually this is a pretty good spot because you can see the difference between cane pruned and cordon pruned. So you can see how the trunk over there, it's thick and it splits, those are cordons. Okay. And we just cut the, the tops off, like all the little skinny branches. These are cane pruned, each of these is a cane. So what we'll do is, we'll take this cane, we'll cut this one off, we'll take this one and lay it down, and it will sprout like all these have. And you get more consistency year over year. We think we get a little better yield, a little better quality that way. Um, so we're shifting from a lot of cordon pruned to cane pruned. And you kind of want to keep going with the sap flow. That's why this one is higher than this one. You know, we'll cut this one that's got all this stuff growing on it off and start with this one this that's year. That's pruning. Yeah. And then, you know, there'll be a bud down here somewhere that we'll keep. And that'll be the cane for next year and so on and so forth. So me, it's is the Pinot, right? I mean, Pinot is their big grape. This is what you guys do. Yep. Um, so, really quickly, you also do a Sauvignon Blanc. We do. And you do a Rosé, but the Rosé is made with the Pinot grape. Yes. And we were talking a little bit about that process. Sure. But the P Sauvignon Blanc is a different... It's a different It's grape. a different variety yep. altogether. So, where are those grown, and why do you do, why do that? Why um, bother, since you focus on Pinot? So the original version of Toomey, you know, it's, it's an off, we're, we're in the Silver Oak family, and mm -hmm. Silver Oak does Cabernet mm -hmm. and American Oak. Mm -hmm. That's that's it. That's, that's it. The, that's their thing. That's Life their is thing. like Cabernet. That's right. Okay. That's what my license plate says. <laughs> so, um, you know, you get winemakers... We tend to be curious, want to experiment. Let's try branching out. Let's try some different things. So, you know, they were making Merlot for a long time. Um, it, as Toomey evolved, it evolved into let's make wines that really speak of where they're from. Mm -hmm. And, but in that spirit of exploration, one of the other things was, well, what can we do with white wine? Mm -hmm. Because there's no, there were no white wines in the portfolio and okay. it's, it's a little different process. So, um, Sal Blanc. Is where we went uh, mm -hmm. because we've got a history in you know the napa valley and the alexander valley and south blanco is really great there okay. just like you know cabernet sauvignon does mm -hmm. um, and so that's where our south blanc comes from it, are those two appellations so it's and then it sells it does and it's yeah <laughs> I, I actually try to get it in my shipments each year or yeah. each quarter um particularly in the summer right because on a nice summer day or <laughs> winter day apparently I, <laughs> I when you know when the weather is really nice and you're having lighter foods and yep. you're having a salad or you know whatever you know a chicken thing or you know you just want lighter right and fresh and refreshing and cold and crisp which is why I try to get the Sauvignon Blanc they're like but you're in the Dunkin' Club you get I think they've changed the name but it's like you get reds. You say your preference is red. I'm like, but I don't want to be locked into that. Sure. Which is a whole thing. Nobody should be locked into anything. Like that's the right. That's and I know the key. with the Toomey membership, uh, the wines that they ship change 
all the time. Mm -hmm. um, I'm not an expert on that part. Mm -hmm. uh, I have to make it. Not to, I'll help them sell it any way I can because I love my job and yeah. the more wine we sell, the more job security I have. Yes. But that is not my area of expertise. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm probably more expert in the wine club probably <laughs> than be. you are. But yeah, it's and they've got you guys have have wine down south, down in like Paso Robles area. Uh, not Paso. Uh, got a little bit in uh, San Lucia Highlands. Okay. Um, but yeah. Uh, so the Toomey program, a little bit there, big in the Russian River, mm -hmm. Anderson Valley, and then up in Oregon. Okay. Um, and then in Calistoga. Oh. Calistoga, it, we've got South Blanc down there. Oh, okay. So there's a tasting room there, but not a winery. Okay. We used to make wine in that location, but that's just tasting room now. Okay. So the, the three areas where we're making wine for Toomey, Russian River, Philo in the Anderson Valley, and Oregon up in the Willamette Valley. Okay. So as we walked into the um, barrel, right? So now we, we're leaving the the, the uh, vineyards, and we have some outtakes, and I'll I'll share some some other content. But we walked out, uh, left the vineyard, which was getting pretty hot for a winter day, and went into the barrel room where they have just hundreds of barrels that you know represent thousands of cases of wine and millions of tons of grapes. I mean, like tons and tons and tons of grapes. So, uh, and you know, again, if you ever have an opportunity to do a, um, you know, a cave tour, cave tasting or, you know, tour wineries, a lot of people uh, who would be watching this, you know, may not live in a wine region or may not live somewhere where you can have this kind of access. And part of what I'm trying to do is be your friend on the inside and bring that to you. But let's take a look at what they've got, what's going on. Once once they pick those grapes, then what? Yeah, this is our cave. We have the only cave All these barrels are filled with 22 kilo. Um, they're all French oak. Uh, about 25% new every year. Two presses, basket press, and a bladder press. So the basket press, there's frogs. <laughs> so uh, the basket press is just what it looks like. You fill this up with grapes. This great big thing comes down and it presses it. And presses it. So, and then the, the, the wine, wine comes here. out. The wine comes out these cracks and then comes out here uh, into a hose. Okay. Yep, and then we pump it into a tank and then in the barrels. So you so so the wine goes from the press 
to a tank and then into a barrel. Yeah. Why is it going into the tank and not straight to the barrel? Do you filter it in the tank? I mean, what happens in the tank? We're not filtering at that stage, but you are letting some of the... Uh, Sediment? Or yeah. Yeah. Gross leads settle. <laughs> the stuff that didn't come out. Exactly. In the... Okay. So, um, and different process for white or rosé wine than red wine. Mm -hmm. um, white and rosé wine, you're going to pick the grapes, they go right into the press. You press them, you get the juice out, and you ferment them. Red wine, you take the grapes, sort out all the other stuff, put them in a tank, the whole grape, and ferment that. Wait, 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 wait. What did I miss? So you're not putting the red grapes into we, the press? We do after it's done fermenting. Oh, okay. So the white wine, you pick, you press, straight to the barrel. Well, or... Right, whatever you're fermenting in, so, you know. Well, okay. Here and it can be steel, it can be a right. barrel. Like, okay. Exactly. The red wine, you pick, you sort, sort, you sort, and then you put right the grapes, the whole grape, into a... Into a tank. A tank. Yep. Where you ferment it there. How long is that fermentation process? Uh... Usually between eight and fourteen days. Okay. You take okay. So the obvious one, sure. you just take that. Right. The other that you like. Okay, we gotta work to get the. We gotta squeeze it out. Yep. You come and then you press that. Correct. Okay. And then you press it, and then you put it back. You put it straight into a barrel at that point, or do you put it back into a? That's a great question. So, if you. If you squeeze it just a little bit, mm -hmm. you're getting really quality stuff. Mm -hmm. The more you squeeze, the more extraction you're getting, mm -hmm. the more you're crushing seeds, the more you're tearing mm -hmm. up what's left of the skin. So there becomes a certain point where it's gonna, it's just rough. Okay. You've got more tannin, more of everything, and it becomes unpalatable. And, and it's got a balloon, a deflated balloon that's all up one side of it, the side opposite the grate. Okay. So it sits flat there. We usually rotate it around so the grapes so the grates are down so the juice can drip out. As that balloon inflates out, it puts pressure mm -hmm. on the grapes. That's what that's what does the squeezing there. So instead of just being a steel plate that comes out, it's so a it's less abusive. Uh, it can be, and it's more flexible. Okay. Um, a basket press is generally more gentle you're going to get less wine out of it. When would you do one over the other? What's the... We pretty much use this. Uh, when we get super busy, we'll run them both at the same time. Okay. Um, but you're limited in some of the, the size of the lots that you can put in there. Do you then blend the output? Or do you keep them separate and call them sort of... The light, the, the, the free run and the very light press we keep separate. The hard press we separate by vineyard. Okay. So all the Behrman Ben will go together, all the monument tree will go together because there's not that much. Okay. Think about it like a, a shirt that's that you've hand washed. Mm -hmm. You hang it up, it drip dries, that's all. Now you can just kind of squeeze it a little bit, mm. then you start wringing it out. Mm -hmm. When you start wringing it out, you know, you're gonna get like some funky stuff out of the shirt. Okay. It's the same thing with grapes. Okay. Well, hope is, hope is nothing if not, you know.
<laughs> descriptive. So, you know, so now we're learning how we're making the grapes, right? We're taking it and we're squeezing it, we're pressing it, depending on what kind of wine it is, we're separating it. Maybe it's going in oak, maybe it's going in steel, maybe we're going to press it this way, or maybe we're going to press it with the bladder, or maybe with the... So there are all these different things. So as a winemaker, her job is not only to know like when to pull it off the, the grapes off the vine. And we did talk about that. I'm going to work on some of that video because it just really was hard to hear um, because we were outside. So we need to do better about that. But um, there were a, a lot of things that they, that they consider before they make the decision to pull that, to, to go ahead and harvest the grapes. So it's not just you know, oh, okay, we're going to harvest in, you know, October. Okay, it's Tuesday. Have the staff show up and we'll, you know, we'll we'll harvest. They don't do it quite like that. Apparently, there's like a whole crew and they actually go out and walk the walk the the uh, vineyard and they taste grapes and they do things. So, yes, they know roughly when they want to. They can look at the grapes and it's like, okay, they're about ready. But would two more days, three more days, another week actually be really good for that grape? And if so, you know, what else is going on that might impact that? So they may say, you know what, we really would like this to just like, it's right there. We just want, you know, six more days on the vine and it'll be a little bit, you know, richer flavor, a deeper, a deeper flavor, or whatever it is that they're looking for. However, maybe the weather forecast says that a heat wave is coming or a storm is coming or something is going on or they don't have the people to do the harvesting on the weekend or whatever. So they may decide, you know what, we're going to just have to go ahead and pull it on Thursday. We'd like to wait till Sunday, but we're going to do it on Thursday and Friday or whatever. So there are a lot of things that factor in. Some of it is science. Some of it is just art. Some of it is taste. You've got a whole team of people. Everybody's sort of tasting and everybody has different taste buds and different things that they're looking for that they like or that that resonates with them. So then you get these the grapes that are pulled, you know, some are red, some are white or, you know, a Sauvignon Blanc is white. A rosé uh, is obviously, you know, that has a different way that they treat it, but it still is a, a the same uh, grapes as the as the red, um, as the as the pinot, and then they they're like, okay, so you know we've picked it, we've cleaned it, we've done this, we've done that. If they're gonna uh, for the red wine for the pinot noir, which is what they're most known for, they go ahead and they put it in the barrel in the uh, not the barrel room in the um, it, it, where they where it ferment. So we're going to go in there and she's going to talk about that process. And we can go up top. I'll show you the top. These are open top fermenters. Okay. Uh, so yeah, after we sort all the grapes, mm -hmm. we put it there in big bins and we just take the forklift up and dump them right in. Okay. And ferment the whole thing. The red. The red. <laughs> These are open top fermenters. Like I said, we, we'll dump right into them. We've got bins on a forklift and rotate them and put them right in. You see this dimpled part here? Uh, that's glycol jacketing. So, and you look in the inside, you can see where it's welded all the little dimples. Mm -hmm. There's one sheet of sheet metal on the outside, 
around the sheet metal on the inside and we pump glycol through there. So if we want to heat or cool the tanks, okay. and that's a great way to control your fermentation. Yeast like a specific temperature range. Early in a fermentation and different varietals more or less than others, um, yeast kick off a lot of heat. Mm -hmm. So, you know, a yeast job is to take sugar, eat it up, and it splits it into alcohol and carbon dioxide. Um, and we want to keep that yeast as healthy as possible so that they ferment nice and clean because when the yeast are sick, it throws off, you know, foul. Just like if you're feeling sick, you get a little funky. It has a tendency to really want to race through fermentation. Hmm. So the metabolism in the yeast gets real excited. The temperature goes up too high, which stresses them out. Just like if we were outside and it was too hot, we'd be stressed out. So we use the glycol to cool it down. Then at the end, they're not kicking out as much energy. They're not, there's not as much sugar to eat. So they're not as hyper running around like lunatics. So we want to keep them warm. They're not burning up enough fuel to provide enough heat to keep them in that healthy range. So sometimes at the end of fermentation, we'll provide some gentle heat just to get them through there. Well, the life cycle of a wine grape, I mean, it, it's going through a lot. Oh yeah, oh yeah. To... And that's, that's just the first fermentation. Okay. And then the other thing is, so as you're, you know, you dump all, this, you dump all the grapes in there, mm -hmm. it forms a cap. Okay. As the, as the juice comes out and it starts to ferment, the skins and everything get a little bit lighter and they all float to the top and you have a cap. Okay. And a big part of what we do during harvest is cap management. Okay. You're skimming the cap? No, you have, but you do have to keep it hydrated. You have to keep it moist. And you want to run the wine through it because that's how you get your extraction. You want to pull the color out of the skins. You want to pull those flavor compounds out. You want to pull some tannin out. It's how much do you want to do. Okay. So there are two ways to do that. And they've got these really technical names, pump over or punch down. <laughs> and a pump over literally, uh, if you look inside, you can see little holes. There's valves down there. Mm -hmm. And you hook a hose up to it, to a pump. Mm -hmm. And you literally pump the juice up over the top and back in. You pump it over the cap and you just kind of like fire hose and spray it down. That's a pump over. It's a hydraulic punch down device. Mm -hmm. uh, a punch down is exactly what it sounds like. You're taking a, a hunk of metal and punching it down through the cap and getting that cap wet. Mm -hmm. We like to do that. We think it's a little gentler than doing a pump over. You get a little less extraction. Okay. Um, this makes it manageable in some of those big tanks. You can do it by hand. If you look down there, you see the stainless steel poles with the circle or the rectangle stuck at the end of them. They have handles at the other end and you can you literally like take that handle and, and push it down through the, through the cap. It's a lot of work. It's a great core workout. Whose job is that? What, what's the name, what's the title of that job? Generally it's interns, oh. <laughs> but I do punch downs every year. Okay. Uh, white. It's the red because it's got this unique skin. No, I'm sorry. The, um, the rosé? The rosé. The rosé we treat just like a white. So, okay. Um, white wine grapes are generally going to be like uh, uh, kind of a gold color when they're mm -hmm. ripe. Whereas grapes for rosé are red wine grapes. Yeah. Red wine is red because it's pulling all those color compounds, anthocyanins out of the grape skin. We don't let it sit on the skin. So if you press it immediately. Right. 
it'll have a little bit of the color because it came in is, is a red grape. Right. But you're getting rid of all that way back. There. Correct. Okay. Yeah. So you're not pulling much of that color out of the skins. The pulp on almost all grapes, not all, there are some that have colored pulp, but almost every grape that, you know, people have heard of, the pulp is not colored. It's just from the skin. It's an optical sorter. So it looks at grapes mm -hmm. and it can, yeah. So underneath here, pull out funky grapes. These are cameras. And so this belt spins really fast and spit, it spins fast enough that it'll kick the grapes out to a bin that we have out here, right? Mm -hmm. But if one of these cameras sees something that's not a grape, it shoots a little puff of air and it falls into this trough oh. and it sorts it out. So it's called MOG, material other than grape. Okay. This sorts out all that MOG that we don't want. So, so if it's something... a hunk of leaf okay. or like a spider or, you know, usually it's a piece of leaf or okay. that gets through or uh, a hunk of stem that we don't and want. And it knows, that's not it, great. Exactly, and it kicks it out. It know. Yeah, not the mug, not the spider. I don't want the spiders in my mind, so I'm glad they've got all that technology. So again, as, as Hope walked us through the the barrel room and the press and the the uh, where the where the wines are fermented, we also then went into where they used to do bottling, but now they actually outsource the bottling. Um, she just explained that it's more efficient to have a mobile mobile bottle company actually comes and they do that and they can do thousands of bottles, you know, a day and get the whole bottling done so that I can have bottles more efficiently. So I like that. And yeah, as I look in this, I don't see any kind of, uh, uh, you know, mog. So we don't material other than great. That's what it is. So mug will be the key word. So uh, if you uh, respond to, you got to like, 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 share, like, and share this uh, mess, this podcast and hashtag living the grape life and mug material other than grape. How's that mug? Material, M-A-T-G, MOG, I don't know, M-A-T-G, hashtag M-A-T-G, material other than grape. Um, I will take everybody who does that and I will pull one name. I'm only giving away one bottle of the Tumi, uh, the Tumi Pinot. So, um, and unfortunately right now, I don't have the wine that Hope made because she, it's it's still being aged. She's only been there a couple of years and her wine is still in the barrels in that aging process. So I can't wait to taste that. But so we leave the, um, we leave that area. We made our way back to the tasting room. We didn't do any tasting on that day, although I'm gonna, she invited me back. I am definitely gonna take her up on that and go and do some tasting. And I'm hopeful that her wine is available when that time comes, but you know, I'll make two trips. I'm, you know, I'm easy. Um, but we, we, we wrapped up our conversation with some more industry stuff, a little bit less about the, well, we still talked about making up the making of the grape.
Can you talk a little bit more about how climate change is impacting your ability to, like, to be on top of that wine oh, and the grapes aren't too wet or too dry or too hot or whatever? It, it makes a difference and we are seeing more extremes. So this year was an outlier. It was a very cold and wet year uh, and we were quite worried you know, are we going to get ripe? You know, and the, and the joke was, hey, we're going to wind up harvesting in October. We're going to wind up harvesting in November. We're going to be harvesting at Christmas because, and then we got some heat finally. And, okay. you know, so, conditions so what, worked what out do perfectly. You want? But, what are perfect conditions? Hot wind, cold wind, rain wind. What do you want? Um, What's ideal? So, one of the things that we're really lucky here in the Anderson Valley, and, you know, Napa experiences this as well, Sonoma, California is we have big um, dinural temperature changes. So it can be really hot during the day and then cooler at night. And you want that. Um, having the cool nights helps keep the acidity, but having that heat and sunlight gets the grapes ripe. Mm -hmm. So that's how you get really beautiful ripe grapes. You can't let it get too hot. Uh, once it gets above, once the, once the vines get above the mid 90s, they start shutting down just like they shut down from cold. They start closing up their pores. They stop metabolizing because they're mm. trying to protect themselves. They're a living thing. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. So, you know, you want that low 90s, upper 80s, gentle breezes, okay. cool nights. Those are perfect. And you want it to be nice and steady and let the vines acclimatize. Okay. So uh, the 2022 harvest, there was those huge heat domes and they affected different areas differently. They even affected our two different vineyards differently. Um, Monument Tree felt the heat differently than Behrman Bend. Behrman Bend was really behind on ripeness. When the heat dome hit, it didn't hit us as hard as some of the other areas, so we were really lucky. Can you just talk a little bit more about how climate change is impacting? Can you just talk a little bit more about how climate change is impacting your ability to like to be on top of that wine oh, and the grapes aren't too wet or too dry or too hot or whatever. It it makes a difference and we are seeing more extremes. So this year was an outlier. It was a very cold and wet year uh, and we were quite worried, you know, are we going to get ripe? You know, and the, and the joke was, hey, we're going to wind up harvesting in October. We're gonna wind up harvesting in November. We're gonna be harvesting at Christmas because, and then we got some heat finally, and okay. you know, so, conditions so what, worked out what do perfectly. You want? What are perfect conditions? Hot wind, cold wind, rain wind. What do you want? Um, what's ideal? So, one of the things that we're really lucky here in the Anderson Valley, and you know, Napa experiences this as well. Sonoma, California, is we have big um, dinural temperature changes. So. It can be really hot during the day and then cooler at night. And you want that. Um, having the cool nights helps keep the acidity, but having that heat and sunlight gets the grapes ripe. Mm -hmm. So that's how you get really beautiful ripe grapes. You can't let it get too hot. Uh, once it gets above, once the, once the vines get above the mid 90s, they start shutting down, just like they shut down from cold. They start closing up their pores. They stop metabolizing because they're trying to protect themselves. They're a living thing. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. So, you know, you want that low 90s, upper 80s, gentle breezes, okay. cool nights. 
those are perfect. And you want it to be nice and steady and let the vines acclimatize. Okay. So uh, the 2022 harvest, there was those huge heat domes and they affected different areas differently. They even affected our two different vineyards differently. Um, Monument Tree felt the heat differently than Behrman Bend. Behrman Bend was really behind on ripeness. When the heat dome hit, it didn't hit us as hard as some of the other areas. So we were really lucky and things ripened up to perfection. But it it hit some areas really hard. People had massive losses because the, you know, the grapes shriveled up, they turned to raisins, they got overripe, they, yeah. Um, rains at the wrong time, you'll get disease pressure, you know, mold and mildew, especially as the grapes are right there. They're at a perfect nutritional level. Mm -hmm. Everything wants to feed on them, including, okay. you know, mold and mildew. Okay. So you've got to keep them, you know, warm and dry. Oh my God, I, I, I feel like my babies, right? It's like right. You get so, yeah. so it affects our picking decisions. If we see the heat's coming, you have to make a decision. Well, how long can we have exposure to that before we pick and it becomes detrimental? Mm -hmm. If there's rain coming, do we pick before the rain? Because you can't pick in the rain. Or do we wait a few days afterwards for the grapes to dry up? Has there been any disease pressure? All those things affect you, so. And this is stuff you learned in school or learned by just doing? A little bit of both. Okay. Um, you learn some of it in school, but you know, experience is the best teacher. Mm -hmm. And my peers are excellent teachers as well. Mm -hmm. You know, I brought knowledge with me being from a different area and seeing some things on the East Coast that people here aren't gonna experience and hopefully okay. we don't either. But you know, I've learned a lot of site-specific stuff from folks who came before me. So it's very collaborative and I've learned a lot. Uh, and you know, once once you think you know it all, you're in, you're in big trouble. It's okay. Being open and being flexible and, and you'll, is, is key. If, if you hang around with people from Silver Oak and Toomey long enough, you'll hear we've yet to make our best bottle of wine. Um, it, but it really is, it's a, it's a growth mindset that we have. It's that beginner's mind and being humble and knowing there's always something to learn and we, there's always something we could be doing better. So let's do that. So again, Hope was very um, uh, optim uh, you know, optimistic about the future. They're very, you know, they're curious. They're almost sounds like a, a sort of a mavericky mindset where it's like, you know, let's try some different stuff. Um, we're going to wait. We're going to hold off. The, the weather's not quite right. We want the perfect grape. All these factors are going into the picking decisions, the harvesting decisions, all these things are then going into also the, the, the sort of tasting decisions and the blending decisions, which we'll talk a little bit more about in just a moment. Um, I did uh, want to, in this next segment, we're gonna talk a little bit about where we are geographically and what that means and how that impacts the grape. Um, so one of my last questions, um, AVAs, mm -hmm. which is, which stands for? American Viticultural Area. Okay. And you have these different AVAs, which are, and it's different than a region. Or is it, or do we colloquially just call it a region, wine regions? Like you have the Oakville, where you have yeah. Anderson Valley. So is Anderson Valley an AVA or... There are smaller subsets. Of Anderson Valley is an AVA. Okay. So like Napa is an AVA, but then there are sub-AVAs like, mm -hmm. you know, Oakville and St. Helena and Calistoga mm -hmm. are all sub-AVAs mm -hmm. of Napa. Mm -hmm. And it defines 
it's supposed to have a defining characteristic. So here in Mendocino County, I'm gonna butcher the name of it. I think it's Mendocino Highlands. Okay. It's the only ABA defined by altitude. Hmm. So it's all the vineyards that are above, I believe, a thousand feet. Okay. I might be messing that Maybe up. Maybe we'll check that. Right. <laughs> uh, where I was in the Walla Walla Valley, there's a sub-ABA called the Rocks District, mm -hmm. and it's the only ABA defined by geology. It's filled with these fist-size rocks, 20 feet deep. It's okay. just rock and no topsoil. It's a um, byproduct of the Great Missoula Flood. Okay. So the Anderson Valley, it's a transverse valley to the ocean. It's got a particular climate. The soils here, you know, we've got a lot of the... So every wine that comes out of a particular ABA, there will be something, at least one thing, that is unique to that wine or that ABA. You would hope so, yeah. If you're... If you're, <laughs> if if you're classified as an ABA and you have to have something unique, or did I miss... No, no, no. The, the ABA should have something that defines it. Okay. And wines from that ABA should show where they're from. Okay. Um, Which is how sommeliers get to be exactly. experts on it. So they know all the... So they get to focus on the ABA, not on the wine, per se. Uh, I don't want to speak to what their job is, but I think they've got a lot of both. Because, okay. you know, different producers and different... You know, there's a difference between... But you would start macro yes. and then work your way down. Right. So, so you're, you could you're going to start with the United States, California, then, you know, where in Cal are you Central Valley? Are you Napa? Are you Anderson Valley? Okay. Yeah, and break it down. And then you can keep breaking it down into smaller, smaller pieces. And the smaller piece generally is the individual winery. All right. So what, and what I'm getting at is for people who don't know wines or trying on their journey, sure. on their wine journey, and they've got to start somewhere and it is overwhelming. There's a lot of wine. And even if I, it's like, oh, I want to go away for the weekend to the wine country. And it's like, okay, where does, you know, where do you want to go? And how do you decide? And, you know, and so there's some, you know, a lot of factors, right? Sure. Uh, availability of hotel room or bed and breakfast or what else do you want to see? How much money do you have to spend, right? right? There are a lot of things that will go into that decision. Um, but when, when they're looking at wines or if you want to check out a particular region, and there are a few regions that I've been to or AVAs that I've been to that I, I would say I've never had a bad glass of wine from an entire region. It's like, for, you know, maybe I go somewhere and over two or three days, I might, you know, visit a dozen wineries and to taste, I mean, some I may like more than others, but sure. it's like I didn't have a bad glass of wine in any of or taste wine that I didn't like is is says a lot which then it's like okay i know i feel confident going to that place because i know i'm probably you know maybe i will maybe i won't but the likelihood of me getting something that i like is going to be higher um i've been to a few in anderson valley not a lot but a few um never had bad wine out of anderson valley and out of oakville which is where silver oak is there are some other regions that are, or some other AVAs that are um, a little different, but they're characterized, for instance, you may have something that's higher on a hill, on the backside of a mountain, or, you know, in the valley floor, sure. so it's got to be hotter, or here, because of the proximity to the coast, presumably you're going to get cooler air, you know, the yep, fog rolls fog. in, yep. and you get the moisture from the fog, you're going to get cooler um 
you know, it's going to be a little bit cooler because you've got the breeze, which then can create other problems. Right. But yeah. that th those characteristics are what you guys, when you say, you know, you just want to taste the, you want to taste the ABA. I don't yeah. think that's the word you said, but. Well, yeah, but people say terroir or, yeah. Okay. So you want to, you want to know, okay, when you taste that, it's like, I can tell. And can you tell that it's, oh, that had a lot of moisture in it. Um, that had a lot of, there must have been water in the air. <laughs> that's, uh, no, like people say, oh, this is, uh, you know, it's a rocky soil and you can taste the minerality. You're not tasting what's in the soil. Now, what's in the soil will affect the nutrition of the grapes and you'll okay. taste that, mm. but you're not going to be like, well, this is, <laughs> this, this is, this is a shale based area. So I'm going to taste shale on the wine. Yeah, okay. That's not the way it works. Okay. But there might be something about that. That, that impacts the grape yes, itself. Okay. Right. That changes. So, and, and we notice that, um, Monument tree, even though it's a mile up the road, tends to be a little darker, a little more resinous, brambly. Mm -hmm. uh, Berryman Bend tends to be brighter, more structured, uh, occasional floral notes. Um, so you really can, even though those are two vineyards, both in what they call the deep end of the Anderson Valley, you can taste the difference between the two. Okay. Um, and if you do it right, then you should be able to taste the difference. Now that doesn't mean the consumer's gonna know that, and that's okay. Uh, and anybody who makes someone feel bad about not knowing something about wine is, is doing a terrible disservice. As the winemaker, Hope Nastri and I wrap up the conversation, we talked a little bit about the future, some of the diversity in the industry, and why it takes sort of a village to bring the wine together and to move forward into the into the future of wines. Yeah, because no one can know it all. And, you know, go out and try stuff and don't be afraid to tell people what you like and what you don't. And if you like sweeter wines or you like whites, not reds, a lot of times there's a biological reason for that. It's not, you're not sophisticated enough and your palate isn't developed. Mm -hmm. It depends on your biology and the chemistry in your mouth mm -hmm. sometimes affects the wines that you can enjoy. Yeah. So you're not going to like a big cab because your body isn't built for it. And that's, that has nothing to do with your sophistication, your educate. Yeah. It's biology. Yeah. And so find what you like and, and drink that. And that's anybody who tells you differently is, is doing a terrible yeah. thing. Well, that's a big part of why I'm doing this living the great life and it's particularly the podcast series because I, I really want people to understand the process of the, you know getting from a grape to a glass. And it is, um, you know, so many people are, in, it, it can be intimidating, and so many people are intimidated by the process, or even if they're not intimidated, they just don't like it. It's like, I don't want to go somewhere where people are gonna make me feel unwelcome. Right, who would? You know, and I don't, definitely don't want to, spend my money in a place where people, you know, are, are less than hospitable. And of course that's not, I mean, I've had a couple of instances where, you know, somebody just maybe was having a bad day. Um, but my experience has always been very welcoming. You know, people have welcomed me in and have been very 
uh, friendly and, and hospitable. And that's part of what I like about it. And that's part of what I'm trying to share. So on a final note, I just want to give you an opportunity. I know we've talked about a lot. We walked up the hill and through the, over the dell and <laughs> through the, through the bobbling, all of it. Um, but is there anything that I either missed or that you want to make sure that I, that, that, that anybody listening to this knows or feels or? Sure. Um, so the Anderson Valley is kind of out of the way, uh, but it really is a great place to come visit. Um, I guess, you know, my big takeaways, I've learned so much during my process of you know becoming a winemaker, there are a lot of things that I thought, well, this is just a bunch of baloney, and it wound up being true. Uh, you know, when you're doing blending, little variations make a difference in the final blend. The type of oak, all that stuff makes a difference. There are other things that I thought were real and are full of baloney. Mm -hmm. um, the most important thing is to enjoy it. I mean, our our company's mission is to create memorable moments for people. And, you know, if a meteor hit and wiped out the Napa Valley and our company survived and we had to build cars or create amusement park, it would be to create memorable moments for people. That's our okay. overarching goal. Mm -hmm. Now we do it through wine. Okay. And that it's important, have joy in it. Wine is supposed to be fun and it's supposed to bring people together. Please do that and drink what you like and ask great questions and come up here and visit me. If you see me walking around, I will ask any kind of dumb question. Mm -hmm. If you have a dumb question, it isn't. I will answer it and be happy. I think you've seen I don't mind talking. Uh, yeah, come enjoy some great wine and yeah, come up to the Anderson Valley. I just want to say thank you. Oh, <laughs> thank you for your time and your hospitality. This has been an amazing experience to, to have this inside look and to be able to share that. Thank you for having me on. It's it's always a treat to be able to talk to people about wine and you know, now maybe reaching a little broader audience. It it was an honor. So I thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Because no one can know it all. And as you could see, Hope was a wealth of knowledge. She she just she had so much to share and she was so generous in sharing you know, what she knows. We barely scratched the, the, the surface. Um, she and I certainly talked much longer than we tried to cut this up. So this may have been a little choppy, but again, we'll get better with it. Um, but I'm so thankful that you joined us for this first episode of Living the Great Life's podcast. Um, just to sort of recap, the, the number one thing that I want to impart is and and hope said it herself is the you know it's just about the wine that you like finding wines that you like what i like and what you like i might be able to describe it um i might be able to you know you may trust my palate or whatever her palate or like one winery over another there are all these things that you can do but at the end of the day what do you like and because there's so many wines, red, white, rosé, there's champagne, there's brandy, there's fortified wines like brandy and dessert wines or sweeter wines, dry wines, earthy wines. There, you know, there, the, 
there's, you know, for every wine out there, even within a winery, even within a, a um, variety, right? So we talked about Pinot Noir today, primarily. Even within Pinots, you're going to get different, you know, flavor profiles. Even the Pinots from Behrman Bend to the, the one up the road, she says like a mile up the road, even, even that you're gonna get some differences, right? So, and having different winemakers picking at different years, uh, different times of the season, this year versus last year, so different vintages, you're just, it's just always gonna be different. And the thing is that in order to find out what you like, you've got to go out and try the wines. You've got to drink, you've got to taste, you've got to experiment, you've got to be willing to, to drink and give it a chance. But if you don't feel very comfortable doing it or asking the questions because it feels maybe a little highbrow and hoity-toity or it's a little too expensive to, to go wine tasting and, you know, that's part of what I'm trying to do for you here is to bring some of that knowledge and some of my, my experiences and the expertise of, of people working in the industry to you so that you don't necessarily have to do that. Maybe we can cut down some of the work to help you get to a wine that you really enjoy, that you would want to share with your family and friends, have you know dinner with, or just when you go out to a restaurant and you want to pick a glass of wine to complement your meal, you want to know like you know, do I want the one from Napa, the one from you know South, you know uh, Paso Robles, or do I want one from Argentina, or do I want one from Chile or Italy or whatever? And we're going to try to demystify all that, and make it a little bit easier for you. So I hope you tune in again. I thank you again for joining me today. And again, if you uh, like, share, and uh, include the hashtag living the grape life and mug material other than grape, right? You could win a bottle of amazing to me Pinot Noir from Anderson Valley. Thank you. <laughs>